You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Pastor Mac. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the operations pastor. So normally I spend my Sunday mornings with more of a stage manager hat on, uh, making sure that everyone knows where they need to be when, coordinating between the volunteers, the forefront staff, the roulette staff. But last Sunday I had the pleasure of spending time with some of our youngest forefronters um, (laughs) down in Kid Stuff. I served as an extra set of hands. Shout out to Don for stepping in as lead teacher. I don't know if you're here, Don, but thank you. Um, (laughs) And PPS, if we need more volunteers for kid stuff and you are somebody that feels maybe called to do that, you can go to ForefrontNYC.com slash volunteer and click kid stuff in the drop down menu. As you saw, there were many kids that just went downstairs right now too. So anyways, I was floating between the nursery room and the elementary school room uh, to see if the teachers or any of the other children needed assistance or an extra set of hands. And at one point, I went on over to the older kids as they were doing their Valentine's arts and crafts. They had these wooden picture frames that they were decorating. There should be a picture of that, yes, it was very cute. (laughs) And one girl had writing on hers when the rest of them had little hearts and maybe some markers, some coloring, and I asked her what it said. She jumped up and said, unity for all. (laughs) I know, it's very cute. And so I laughed a little bit, I had a big smile on my face and I asked her, if she could explain to me what that meant to her. She jumped up and very excitedly and confidently explained to me why it's important to her for people of all races and all skin colors to get the same opportunities, to get along and to try to understand each other, relating what she was learning in school for Black History Month to the Bible and what Jesus would do. She said it so matter-of-factly, tilted her head admiring her artwork of her picture frame, and then plopped back into her chair to finish her masterpiece. <laughs> I scanned the kid stuff rooms again, taking in the magnificent scene. 14 kids showed up last week, representing black, Asian, Latine, white, mixed races. Their parents and their teachers are all fully present in their own identities, be it straight, queer, single, partnered, child-free, in their 20s, in their 50s, so much more. And the status quo of diversity magic in kids' stuff last week was an honor to witness. And it's what our kiddos here are used to. This baseline environment for learning is something that I was not exposed to when I was in Sunday school, or in elementary school in general, for that matter. The pictures of Jesus and every other Bible character were always the white version. Anybody else? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. All of my teachers were white. 
uh, most of the books, media, theater that I was exposed to, um, the characters were always portrayed as white. At a certain point, this little Mexican girl began to internalize the messaging and learned to believe that she didn't have a place in the stories that she was told. Today, I get to preach our final Bible Say What series topic, Seeing Yourself in the Text. It had me asking myself, when was the first time that I was taught to try and see myself in the text of the Bible? I must have been in preschool or kindergarten when my Lutheran school first had me participate in this mandatory school performance in church of a Bible story uh, in which I played a barn animal. <laughs> yeah. So the meet and greet question. It was long, but hopefully it made you think a little bit about when you were growing up. Were you exposed, exposed to toys or books or, or media with characters that looked like you, characters that you related to? And if so, were they protagonists or were they the villains? Building off that, if you were brought up in Christianity like I was, what kind of Bible illustrations were you raised with? And then one further question for you. How has your upbringing influenced how you approach stories and characters in the Bible now as an adult? It's a question that I hadn't really thought about until I started writing this sermon. In case you didn't know, I went to college for musical theater, yes. <laughs> That's right, I'm pursuing a parallel career in acting, and I'm taking an acting class right now in the city. The way that this class is structured is this. Every student gets a 20-minute working session with this teacher in front of the rest of the class. So even if you're not working, you're learning. Each week, we are asked to bring in a song based on a prompt that she gives us. And this past Thursday, our assignment was to bring in a song of a character that scares the you-know-what out of us. <laughs> I've been given variations of this assignment before. Bring in a character that you would never play, or bring in a character of a different gender than you, or bring in a character in a different age range than you could realistically play, or what have you. There are so many variations of this same exercise. But because of this, I had a feeling I knew where the teacher was going with it, and it doesn't make it any less scary, even if you know what's coming. <laughs> there are seven of us in this class, and with each person's working session, the group marveled at the magic and the creativity and the life that the characters were given when approached with fresh eyes, approached by somebody that you wouldn't normally see play that role. And our teacher, Jen, would ask each of us at the end of our session, so why did stepping into this character ever scare you? And it was heartbreaking and cathartic to hear how similar everyone's stories were. These are all professional level actors, adult actors, and we're scared to perform a character in a class setting? At some point along the way, outside forces led us to believe this idea that no one could ever find us believable as that character. But each and every one of us, I can honestly say, crushed it by our final passes of our songs, and it seemed like we were all learning so much more about ourselves in the process of daring to believe. The coaching we all received honestly had close to nothing to do with acting or music notes last week. It was coaching to help us get out of our own heads, move beyond the box that we've been put in. 
and address the fear that's been holding us back from trying something new. I really struggled with picking a song for this particular class assignment, so much so that I literally phoned a friend and <laughs> asked my best friend from college, who I see as a totally opposite type from me. She rattled off a list of musical theater characters that she's either played before or dreamed of playing. And when she got to the character that I ultimately ended up choosing, my stomach dropped, my eyes got really big, and I stuttered out, oh my god, that's really scary to think about. I have never seen myself playing that role. I have always seen that character as a skinny blonde. And she cut me off, and she said, I'm, I'm sorry, where in the script does it ever say that this character has to be skinny or blonde, or white for that matter? Just because white people have dominated the narrative doesn't mean it's actually fact. <laughs> okay, mic drop, this is why she's my best friend. So this whole experience with this class had me thinking about our Bible Say What series. I was in such a writer's block preparing for this sermon, you guys. If you had a one-on-one -on -one with me this week, chances are I even told you that I hadn't figured out the arc of my sermon yet. <laughs> I think I was struggling with what to say because I was approaching the topic from the wrong angle. I saw the topic of seeing yourself in the text, and then I thought to myself, okay, I need to first choose the, sec the text that I see myself in, and then I can write my sermon around it. I had this formula in my head that it had to be that way, and it got me really stuck. I had such a hard time getting started that I began polling the other pastors, calling my friends, asking to see if anybody would tell me what text they saw me in, or text that they saw themselves in, so maybe I could use that. Spoiler alert, almost nobody was willing to do my homework for me. <laughs> and it got to this point that I jokingly said to my girlfriend, Diana, the other day, I wish I could just have a ghostwriter for this sermon. <laughs> what can I say? I'm an actor. I like a script. I like a character. I like to follow what someone else has written. And no, we don't have ghostwriters here. We do write our own sermons, our own words. But even as a joke, that thought brought me pause. I felt this tug on my heart to identify this theme that was emerging from my conversations with people during my sermon prep, and it was this. I wanted somebody else to define me. Yikes. I'm so used to being put in a box that even though I hate it, I sometimes feel the safest there. I don't know, when you haven't been taught to dream big or you haven't seen yourself reflected back to you in media or books, or teachers, or preachers, illustrations of Bible stories, it can be really uncomfortable to challenge yourself to start. So many of us have come from a background of harmful theology, myself included, clearly. Many of us have been told or taught that our very existence is shameful or unwelcome in a church. If we've been told that we shouldn't even be seen in a church, how on earth are we supposed to get to a place of seeing ourselves in the text? And even if we do start to see ourselves in the text, is it ever in a liberating way? 
if the messaging that's been ingrained in us leaves people like us out, or worse, characterizes people like us as villains, how are we to feel anything other than distant or resistant to opening the Bible, let alone reading it with the intention of seeing ourselves in it? It can feel incredibly daunting. It still feels incredibly daunting to me. One could say that this sermon topic is the scare the you-know-what-out-of-me assignment for my job. But like the intention behind my acting class, sometimes we need a push to get out of our own heads, move beyond the box that the world has put us in, and address the fear that's been holding us back. That process can be a very vulnerable one, but wow, the things that we can learn by putting ourselves in someone else's shoes. I'm hoping that this Bible Say What series uh, is the push that some of you may have needed to give yourself permission to dive back into reading the Bible or to uh, give yourself a chance to read it through a different lens. If you haven't heard all of the sermons in this series, I urge you to go back and listen because they are good. You can listen to them when they post on our podcast, ForefrontNYC.com slash podcast, or just look up Forefront Church wherever you go listen to podcasts. Um, you can also go back on Facebook or YouTube and watch the playback of our services. However you want to do it, I urge you to go and listen to the sermons that led up to this point because it's certainly informed where I'm going next. For some... You may just be getting to the point where you feel permission to see the text at all. Maybe you need to read it without looking for yourself in it. Maybe that's too close. So give yourself permission to approach the text based on the genre or style that you're resonating with at the time. Maybe you really just need to read the poetry. Or maybe you're in a season of craving the biography of Jesus. Josh had an incredible sermon explaining how the Bible is laid out in terms of genres, and maybe that's your access to it, your step in. Once you have a grasp on how the book was written and put together, and maybe you feel permission to see yourself in the text in some way, I know for me, I first started really looking for myself in the text as a teenager. I remember seeing myself in the Bible as a woman as I thought a woman should be. I don't know if any of you can relate, but I got the messaging that I maybe should be submissive or second to men or pure, certainly not gay. Uh, <laughs> and I had this Bible in high school that had devotions for teen girls in it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some opinions in those hmms. <laughs> so these devotions for teen girls within the Bible, that's the reason. That's what guided me to this viewpoint. And it sounds like some of you may have a similar experience with the Bible like that. Are we entitled to some kind of compensation? I mean, come on. <laughs> so I guess, <laughs> I guess seeing myself in that way was a step up from the barn animal that I played in preschool, but it's not much better, honestly. <laughs> and if you're at this stage of seeing yourself in the text, searching for how you think you should see yourself, might I suggest something else that I learned from acting class? 
stop shooting yourself. Once you challenge yourself to stop shooting yourself, you can get to a place of curiosity, a place where you give yourself permission to see yourself in the text in an unexpected way. If you catch yourself reading something with the intention of, should I, maybe just joke with yourself a little bit. Stop shooting yourself. <laughs> what can I learn that isn't what I think I should be learning? I'm more recently related to the eunuch. I preached on it some time ago, and the key line of the eunuch in that story stuck with me. How can I know unless someone teaches me? You don't know what you don't know. Don't blame past versions of yourself for digesting either a false or harmful narrative or interpretation of the Bible. You didn't know what you didn't know. Embrace the opportunity to learn and grow in your understanding, and don't be afraid to ask questions or challenge a thought that doesn't feel right to you. You were made with this fantastic mind, free will, and independent thought. Use what the good Lord gave you. Ask questions. How you relate to stories and, and characters it's going to change over time, depending on the season of life that you're in. And I had to remind myself of that this week. I was reflecting that it was only four years ago that I walked through these doors and heard, first heard the good news of affirming progressive Christianity. That was the first time I had ever heard it. It's been four years filled with so much. Coming out, falling into a career in ministry, a pandemic, meeting the woman I love, battling the healthcare system as I navigated this sudden, seemingly random onset disability, dipping my toe back into acting with a different body, a different ability level, a different life of experiences. So how I may see myself in the text today is going to be super different from when I was a teenager or from when I first came out or from when I was in my deepest depression or from when I first felt this call to ministry Excuse you, Callie, you okay? <laughs> Sweet baby. <laughs> but the list can go on and on of these versions of myself and how I might have seen myself in the Bible. And I'm sure you have your own list running through your head of versions of you that would have seen yourself in a different way. So right now, I, I find myself curious about how I might see myself in the disabled people that Jesus healed. Makes me a little uncomfy. So maybe there's something there that I should look into. It makes me think of the story of the woman with a blood disorder. It's Luke 8, uh, verse 42 through 48. As Jesus went, the crowd presses into him. There was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years. Yikes. <laughs> and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and, and pressing against you. And Jesus said, someone touched me, for I noticed the power had gone out from me. When the woman realized that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, 
She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This text sticks with me, and, and, I, and I think it's going to spend, I'm going to spend a lot more time figuring out what I can learn from it. But I definitely relate to this woman. She spent all she had on physicians. No one had any idea what was wrong. What my disability journey truly has been is a lack of knowledge a lack of resources or access to the right doctors who could figure out what was going on, access to time and money and the mental load it takes to go from specialist to specialist to specialist, advocating for more testing, more questioning, more possibilities of an answer. And now I think we actually might have an answer, and in my case I may be healed eventually, story for another day. But this concept of being healed makes me think <laughs> and makes me want to be really clear that being disabled is not the enemy. Living in an ableist society is. Let me be very clear on that. 70% of people who live to the age of 65 will be disabled at some point in their life. Yeah, it's not that uncommon. I get to preach on ableism and disability justice in November, so I'm going to move on from this topic a little bit, but I would be remiss without saying disability is not the enemy. The lack of resources, on the other hand. The only way that I've made it to this point is from two years of constantly advocating for myself, sometimes demanding for a referral or another test to be run or one of my favorites. Um, can you make a note in my file that you're refusing care? They love that one. I say all of this with this understanding that it is a privilege in this country, unfortunately, to even have access to specialists in the first place. And so I feel very lucky that I've even been able to get in the door. And if I were living in biblical times, I probably would have been like the woman with the blood disorder, risking humiliation or worse for the chance at a cure or an answer or some kind of a guidance, reaching in desperation to touch Jesus's clothing. It also makes me think about the rest of the crowd in that story. It sounds like there were a lot of people there. How many of them had their own illnesses, ailments, challenges, existential crises, but for whatever reason didn't touch or didn't have the opportunity to touch Jesus' clothes? I wonder if there are people here today who maybe relate more to that crowd being pushed on the outside than to the woman who happened to have a chance to reach. In Vanita's sermon last week, she explained how the uh, stories in the Bible were passed on through oral tradition, sometimes for hundreds of years before being written down. Blows my mind every time I hear that. And there were so many things that had to have been left out in that editing process. And it makes me wonder whose story was left out in the editing process. And as we're reflecting on Black History Month, stories that we leave out, I think about how 
these enslavers claimed Christianity and used this text to justify their horrible actions, while at the same time those who were enslaved used the stories and songs of faith to find comfort and hope in God, many weren't given the opportunity to even learn to read. So they would listen to enslavers reading the Bible and would eventually pass on those stories orally amongst one another and embracing hope in God through song. And let's not forget, as Angela said in the call to worship, slavery is not over yet. In case you missed it, we did recently partner with 13th Forward and Legal Aid on an initiative to end slavery and forced labor in the prison system, prison system that is predominantly filled with black people. We showed this video at the start of service last week, but we wanted to make sure that we showed it again um, for those who may have missed it. So let's watch that before I finish up my sermon. On the road again. Benita spoke last week about seeing the Bible as an invitation for us to live and help others live. And she said, wherever we are within our spheres of influence, we can help transform lives. That line really hit me. I truly believe that if Jesus were here today, he'd be at rallies and days of action like the one that we just did advocating for the rights of those who are treated as less than. I hope that here at Forefront we can continue to lean into our sphere of influence to help transform lives, living out a justice-focused faith, just as Jesus did. 
I still love me a devotion book, all right? Maybe just less problematic ones. <laughs> and I've always liked following a script or a homework assignment. And I recently started going through uh, Queer's the Word, a 40-day devotional for LGBTQ plus Christians. It's real good if anyone wants to go through it with me. Um, and day five's devotional is titled, Mary the Badass Mother of God. <laughs> and I won't read all of it, but I do want to just mention in Luke 1, verse 46 through 55, is um, what they call Mary's song of praise. Some of the things that she says in the song are, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has lifted, or he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This devotional calls readers to observe how strong and influential Mary was and mentions that not every tradition or denomination honors that or, or even talks about how strong Mary was. What we know from this text is that uh, this is the song Mary sang after being visited by the angel while carrying Jesus in the womb. She sings of, the, uh, of who she knew God to be, a God who cares for the poor, overturns oppressors, who writes the world. The devotional says this, is it any wonder that Jesus grew up and said similar things? Mary raised her son in the tradition that she knew, taught him about the God she knew, and instilled in him a passion for justice. For some of us, the traditions in which we were raised don't bring that same kind of life and faith that Mary passed on to Jesus. For us, we need to relearn and re-explore and find new communities and new beliefs. For others, we might need to revisit what we love about faith, the faith that we grew, in, grew up in, to go more deeply into the traditions in which we were raised because we know that they can continue to give us life. No matter where you are, there's a chance to give us life. And you know what gives me life? The child and kid stuff last week, proclaiming unity for all. <laughs> Personally, I am no longer interested in dwelling on how much I disagree with certain parts of or aspects of the theology that I was raised in. Instead, I get to say, how fantastic is it that the kids who come here get a different approach to the text than I did? I am so hopeful for them and their future selves. I'm interested in approaching the text in the same way that I've grown to approaching my faith, Jesus-centered, justice-focused, and challenging myself to ask, who is missing and how can I include them instead of who is excluding me and why. And for what it's worth, not everything about the theology that I was raised in is bad. I'm far enough removed and far enough along in my reconstructing that I can recognize being introduced to Christianity at such a young age is what allowed me to love the Lord at five, ten, as a high schooler. And that's something that has stayed constant with me through every step of my journey. Mary sang her song of praise so that we can sing with full conviction. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible 
to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Sing it with me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves you. The Bible tells me so. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.